chapter 4, verse 1 to 16, uh, and it reads, Unity in the body of Christ, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In the saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended afar above all the heavens, and he might fill all things, or that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who, has the, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Good evening, everyone. How's the week been so far? Good? Bad? Just like... So this is what I... I'm, I'm the youth pastor of the church, so I'm going to do something that we do in youth ministry, which is rate your week from one to five, one being terrible and five being really good, and just raise your hand with whatever the number is. Could be three. <laughs> Reggie's got zero. So Reggie doesn't listen to the rules. I said one to five, Reggie. Uh, so we've got average weeks here, guys. Who's got a five? We've got one five at the back there. That's good. We've got one five. Okay, good, good, good. I'm just glad. I Well, hopefully, hopefully your average week has been made better to by tonight already, right? Amen. So, I, you know, can I just, can, can I confess something? Okay, I've got to confess something. When I come here on the Sunday nights, I find that this is a God-honoring party, and I love it. Okay? Amen. Where, where else? Where else in Midrand? I mean, there's probably a few places, but it's very rare to find a place where you can party with the Lord and hear His Word being taught to you faithfully. Amen, right? Yeah. So I, I come to you tonight. We, we're in a series um, on the church. And uh, so last week, um, Royden preached. I'm preaching this week. Ruff is next week. And then there's a few of us um, for the next few weeks preaching on this topic. I'm very excited about it. 
I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get straight into prayer and we're going to get the ball running. Let's do that. Father God, we do thank you that your spirit works powerfully. And we just pray now, Lord, that your spirit will work in me. You know, Lord, that I have no useful words to say. Um, The only thing that I can do is teach your word. And I do pray that your spirit will enlighten me, that I may preach it faithfully. And I also pray that your spirit will work in everybody listening, that your truth will hit home on many hearts. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to start off by saying this. There are many of you that know someone who's probably black backsliding in the Christianity. It might even be you. So backsliding means that you are struggling in your walk with Christ and you're probably feeling like you're further away from God than you should be. That's what backsliding is. I can see some nodding heads. That's good. <laughs> you're in good company. We all struggle sometimes in our walks. I bet that if you, have, if you chat to many people who have perhaps been backsliding for a long time, there's something that you might find that's in their lives. Because this happens with almost every person who's backsliding. And I say almost because not everybody, but a large majority of people who are backsliding in their Christian walk are actually backsliding because of their relationship with the church. They're either not as involved as they should be, or they're not attending church at all. Now, here's why I say this. It's because in today's passage, we are going to see that the church is actually a vital tool that is used by God to mature Christians in Christ. Which means if you're not part of church, then you are neglecting a vital tool that is in God's belt to mature you as a Christian. So what is the opposite of maturing in Christ? Well, it's either not growing in him or it's backsliding. So my topic is what is the church? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a definition of the church. And then I'm going to spend most of the time tonight kind of explaining to you why you desperately need church. And here's the definition, and it's going to be a big one. It's a mouthful, okay? So if you don't hear everything now, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just a very big paragraph. But by the end of tonight, my prayer is that this definition will be drilled into your brain, okay? So here's the definition of the church. It is God's united people, under God's word, being taught by his teachers, And as the word is taught, the church ministers to one another, and the result is that that church grows in maturity in Christ. It's a lot of words. (laughs) Let me say it again, okay? It's God's united people under God's word being taught by his teachers, and as the word is taught, the church ministers to one another, and the result is that the church grows in maturity in Christ. Now, there are other points that should be added to this definition, like uh, churches have qualified and competent leaders. That is very critical for a church. So competent leaders are usually your church elders or your church councils. 
Another thing that is usually important within the definition is a church administers the sacraments such as baptism and communion. Those are all helpful, but if you, if you picture the definition of a church as being like a house, those, those two points that I've just mentioned are kind of maybe like the walls or the windows or the doors, but the foundation of that definition is what I just said to you now, that statement that I made. So in other words, if you don't get the foundation of the definition, then your understanding of church is going to be hopelessly wrong. And so that definition that I've just given you actually comes from Ephesians 4. It's from the passage that we read. So what we're going to do is we're going to quickly go through that passage to see where the definition comes from. Okay, so the first part of the definition, we said that it's God's united people. Okay, so if you look at Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what is the calling he speaks about here? This is something that we learned from last week. So if you missed last week, I really encourage you to go listen to the sermon from from Royden. Uh, But what he looked at was Ephesians uh, 1 verses 1 to 14. And what Ephesians 1 verses 1 to 14 shows us is God's cosmic plan for the world. So God planned before time a way to unite his people. And the way he did that was by sending his son in history to die on the cross so that one day in the future, all of God's creation would be under Christ. And so every time a person comes to Christ, they become part of this unity under him. And one day, when Jesus comes again, we'll actually see that unity in perfect form. Another way of saying this is that God has not just saved us into a relationship with just himself, but we're actually saved into a relationship with other Christians as well, other children of God, those who believe in him. That's probably new for some people here tonight. You need to hear that. You're saved into a relationship with other believers as well. So Paul is saying in our passage tonight in verse 1, when he's speaking to the, church, the churches of Ephesus, which is the letter, so this is what Ephesians is, it's a letter to many churches in Ephesus, And he's saying to them, you people need to live out the calling that God has given you. Your calling is that you are united to other believers, so therefore you need to act like it. And so this is what he says. This is how you need to act. Verse 2 of chapter 4. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did anybody get this, the sense when you were reading that verse? Did just that, that song come over you? One love for the mother's pride, one love. Does anyone know that song? <laughs> Sometimes that goes into my head. And the reason why that song comes into my head is because there's a lot of ones in that se- second section, Right? And it's telling us something about God, that God is a God of ones. He's made one body, the church. He is one spirit. He has given us one hope. He is one Lord. He's given us one faith, one baptism, one father. So he's a God of ones. So we as the church need to reflect this by living out the calling that he has given us, and we need to be one 
because he's one. The second part of the definition is that we need to be united, but we need to be united under God's word being taught by his teachers. So look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He's talking here about spiritual gifts. But notice that it's not the full list of spiritual gifts that you find in other places in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 12. He's picked four. Because these four all relate to the teaching of God's word. So Paul is saying that the church is a united group of people, but it's a united group of people under God's word being taught by his teachers. And today it's still the same. We have the teaching of the apostles and the prophets in the Bible, but we also have people like Reggie and Rafa and Royden. What's up with the R Club? Well, Reggie, Rafa, and Royden, I mean, is this some kind of elect group of preachers? Sorry, Martin. Sorry, David. Sorry, Black. You guys aren't part of the Holy Trinity of preaching. (laughs) But there is a list. I'm joking, by the way, in case anyone didn't get that. Okay. But there is a a list of preachers here. And we are gifted in evangelism and or pastoring and or teaching. And I say and or because some of us are more gifted in one area than the other. And that's a great thing because we need that to teach God's word properly to the church. So what is our goal as the Bible teaches? Verse 12. Keep, keep reading. Our goal is to equip the saints which is all Christians, that's another word for Christians, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our goal is that through the teaching of God's word, you as the church are equipped to minister to one another. So that the whole body of Christ grows up in Christ. Another word for that is to mature in Him. So that's the definition. I think hopefully you've got it now. It's God's united people under God's word being taught by His teachers. And as that word is taught to the church, so the church teaches that word to one another And the result of that is the church grows up in Christ. I don't know if you noticed it, but it is a definition that is saturated with God's word. Because each member is not only being taught from the top, but as the word is being taught from the top, so the church members are teaching it to one another, resulting in a church that is saturated with God's word. And it's also wonderful, because I don't know if you picked this up, But the church is actually a small picture of that cosmic plan that we saw in Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14. Remember that that plan? That plan where it said that before time, God chose us to be a united people in him under God. What happens when you get to church? You open the doors, 
and you interagree with God's people, and you are part of God's people, and as the Word is being taught, you are under Jesus, because Jesus is being shown to you through God's Word. You're seeing Him in His Word. And, and let me just say something. I'm going off my notes for two seconds here. But Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 3 that the, the, God's plan for the world is so glorious that even the heavens look down and go, man, that's amazing. Paraphrasing that. It's having a different word. But that means even Satan goes, man. And if you think about it, if the church is a small picture of that, then even Satan goes, man, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Back to my notes. <laughs> so why, why does Paul say you should be part of the church? Well, the obvious reason is because it matures you in Christ. But Paul says something else, uh, sorry, and you see that in verse 12 and verse 15 and 16. But he also gives another reason, and you can find that in verse 14. If you're part of the church, then you will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Prince is saying amen because he knows where this is going. In other words, what he is saying here is if you are not part of a church that he has described, then you won't be maturing in Christ. And instead, you will become like children who are not known to be very discerning. And you'll get swept up in wrong teaching by human cunning, craftiness, schemes, etc. And we see this all the time, right? Think about many Christians you know who stop going to church. They start likely by following some pastors who are online. But often those pastors are the celebrity pastors who preach what their itching ears want to hear. And so as, as some, at some points they are following this person and, and doing what they say, and then they find someone else who resonates more with them. And so they start following that preacher. And then that preacher becomes the golden preacher for a while until they find somebody better. Paul's right. They're just being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. And next thing, you meet up with them, and you talk about Christianity. And if they're still Christian, they probably start saying something like this. That's if they're still Christian, by the way. Well, I believe God is like this. And I believe God would never allow that. And what you find is that they have a God that they've come up with on their own thinking. And it's based on preachers that they've listened to or strange books that they've read or content that they've found online. And they've made up their mind that this is who God is, but it's not the God of the Bible. As Paul says, they've been deceived, been pulled away by human cunning and deceit. Now, I just want to say that, that there's a lot of good preachers online, so I'm not saying listening to online preachers is a bad thing. What I am saying is that if you don't have the church, you are very likely going to get pulled in the wrong direction. So why, why do people backslide or not mature? Well, here's where I want to spend the rest of the sermon tonight. So the first reason is it's because you're not living out who you are. So let's look back at, ver at, at verse 1. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
So what is that calling that you have been called? Well, we saw it in Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. Another way of looking at Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14 is Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14 actually shows you what a Christian is. So if, if anybody ever asks you, what is a Christian? You can open your Bibles, flip to Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14, and you'll see this. A Christian is someone who is, verse 5, been adopted into God's family. They've been redeemed or bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven of their sins, chapter 1, verse 7. And one day they will be united under Jesus when they see him in glory, verse 10. That's a short definition of a Christian. But I want you to notice something else. When you become a Christian, you don't enter a hobby. Or where you happen, it's not a hobby where you happen to go to church and, and, and sometimes be around Christians. No, what you're seeing in verses 1 to 14 is who you are. Why? Because when you become a Christian, you become a child of God. When you become a Christian, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are redeemed. Your identity changes. You gain a father. You gain a brother and a sister. You gain an identity. But it's more than just the external things of, of gaining a father and gaining a family. There's an internal change that happens to you as well. And you find it in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, you don't, you don't have to go. You can if you want, or you can just check it later on to, prove, to just check that I'm actually teaching the Bible correctly. So in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10, in verse 1, it gives you the identity of who you are before a Christian. And it says that you were dead. That's like the worst thing. You imagine going up to someone and just saying, you're dead. It's offensive, right? It's an offensive thing to say. But he says, and Paul's, Paul doesn't pull back his punches. He says, before you were a Christian, you were dead in your sins. But then he says in verse 5, he says, but something happened to you. You've been made alive in Christ. So there's an interesting result to that. There's a new desire, uh, sorry, and there's an interesting result to that. So once Christ has changed you on the inside, suddenly your desires change. Because look at verse 10. And I'm going to read it from the NIV because it's just a little bit more helpful here. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, when God brings us into his family, here's where this is all going. It's like he opens us up and he reprograms our operating system. We are no longer dead, but we come to life and we have a new programming in, in Christ Jesus. According to verse 10, we have a desire that is inside of us, a desire to do the works of our Lord. And we do it within our family that we're a part of. So we desire to do good works for our Christian brothers and sisters and for God. So what Paul is saying in verse 1 of chapter 4 is he's saying, if unity is who you are, then you should walk in who you are. You should strive for unity with other Christians because if you don't, you will actually cease to be who you are and you won't grow in Christ because you'll backslide. So being part of church is not just something you do. It's not a hobby. It's who you are. And here's the application for this point. You were not made to walk alone as Christians. If you try and walk the Christian road alone, you're going to feel lonely. 
You will have this feeling like you're missing something. Why? Because you're designed to be in a Christian community. It's part of who you are. Therefore, you'll likely feel something is missing. You'll likely, you'll probably have a feeling that is similar to someone who struggles with same-sex attraction and hasn't come out. Because inside of you, God has placed a desire to be with other Christians. So you're going to feel feelings like I'm alone. Nobody gets me. Nobody gets the struggles I have with God, with temptation. You'll face it alone. When someone who is part of the LGBTQ community comes out, what gives them a feeling of great relief is is not only when they feel they know who they are, but when they find people who are like-minded that they can share their life with. This eases the burden and, and the struggles that they face. Your loneliness, your struggles, etc., are all telltale signs that you are not living how you were made to be. They're like a megaphone that is shouting at you, get into church community. If I can borrow this phrase from people who who struggle with same-sex attraction, you need to come out of the closet and join the church. If you are a Christian who struggled under lockdown and you couldn't put your finger on it, maybe here's the reason why. Part of your Christian identity was actually missing. Only being, and, and only part, part of being a Christian, as we said, is having that vertical relationship with God. So if you don't have that other half, you're going to feel like you're half a human. If, if you have moved to a new place and you haven't found a Bible-believing church, you're likely going to feel that your Christianity is lacking. I have a teenager in our youth group who matriculated last year. And is working at a camp where he, he can't attend church uh, because of his working hours. And he shared with some of our teens recently how his boss made a way for him to attend a church gathering that wasn't this guy's church, uh, this, this teenage boy's church. It wasn't his church. But he shared with us how relieved he felt when he could be with other believers. And these are people he didn't know. Yet he felt at home. Why? Because church is part of who he is. Now some of you might say, wait a minute. You might say, I've got Christians at home. I don't need the church. I can kind of have my church experience with my family at home because there's enough Christians there. You might feel that. Let me read to you something from the book Purpose Driven Life. Uh, It's a quote from a guy called Rick Warren. If you haven't read Purpose Driven Life... Make that as part of your bucket list because it's an incredible book. Who's read Purpose Driven Life? Anyone here? It's amazing, right? It's an amazing book. Yeah, there we go. They've said it, not me. Okay, so it says this. This is a quote from Rick Warren. He says, Our families on earth are wonderful gifts from God, but they are temporary and fragile, often broken by divorce, distance, growing old, and inevitably death. On the other hand, our spiritual family, our relationship to other believers will continue throughout eternity. It is a much stronger union, a more permanent bond than blood relationships. Your families will fade away, but not even the gates of hell will conquer the church. That's Matthew 16 verse 18. 
Family members pass on, they move away, they fall away from the Lord, etc., but the church will never die. But more importantly, and this leads us into the next point, your family may grow you in the Scriptures, but unless you have God's tool of the church growing you in the Scriptures, you will backslide. So here's the second point. God's way of growing you in the Scriptures is through His ordained teachers. So verse 11 and 12, these were the teaching roles that we looked at earlier, and these are the teaching roles that were given to the church. Now, something you need to understand is that there are some truths in the Bible that one can understand from reading the Scriptures at face value, but there are other parts that God has intended only for Bible teachers to understand and interpret them for you. I'm not sure why God has done it this way, but I'm grateful because I get paid. Now, you've got, to, you've got to think about this. Think about this. If you could read and understand the Bible completely for yourself, then why did God go through all the effort of creating a church and specifically gifting people to preach and teach the Bible? Think about that. If, if you read the Bible by yourself, yes, you will probably be able to understand the gospel. So you'll be able to understand that you are sinners. You'll be able to see who Jesus is and how he saved you. But there are parts of the Bible that preachers and Bible teachers need to unearth for you in order for you to grow in that maturity in Christ. So uh, Martin Morrison, one of the preachers here, has this really helpful way of explaining this. He says that the Bible is shallow enough for a mouse to swim in, yet deep enough for an elephant to drown in. That's a great quote. I wish I had come up with that. I, shouldn't, I should have actually just said, Martin didn't say it. I should have just said, here's a helpful quote, and then said it, and you would have believed I was that intelligent. No, no, no. That came from him. But not only do we need the Bible teachers to teach us the Bible, this passage also says we need the rest of the church to teach us the Bible as well. How do I know that? We'll have a look at verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, we've all got that part, the Bible teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you guys know that you're in ministry? You are. For building up the body of Christ. In other words, the Bible is taught by the Bible teachers to all Christians who are then equipped to minister to others. How does that work? Well, think of yourself attending church. Every week you hear God's word being taught, and each week you hear it, it changes you. You also read God's word for yourself. And as challenges happen in life, you figure out how this word that you have been taught and that you have been reading applies. As time goes by, you become a person who not only knows God's word, but you can apply it to many areas of life. Now, it's not just you who this is happening to. It's happening to the other Christians in church. And the result of this is that the church becomes a place filled with many people who are able to talk about God and help people in many challenges in life, bringing them to maturity in Christ. So not only is the church saturated with God's word, but it's saturated in how to apply it. I often get people saying this to me, Gareth, the Lord doesn't answer my prayers. I've been praying about this problem and that problem. I've got financial issues and I bring it before the Lord and he says, and he's not doing anything and he's not saying anything and I'm struggling with my relationships with my family and the Lord is just not there. 
And my answer to them is, have you chatted to someone at church? Why? Because chances are you will find someone in church who has gone through a similar, if not the same problem, and they'll be able to help you through it. Why? Because the word does not only come through the teachers, but as the church is taught, so the church ministers to one another. Now you might be shouting at God saying, God, you're not listening. Guess what? God could just as well say back to you, but you are ignoring the way I speak back. Do you see how important the church is? Your relationship with God is just you and God. That's what you're thinking, right? So you're shouting at him, but he's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've completely forgotten the whole other tool that I used to speak to you. And you need all the tools. You can't just have one. I speak to you through different ways. Is that sinking in for many of you? Not being part of church is ignoring a major way that God speaks to you. The church doesn't help just help you, and and it doesn't just help you with problems you have, it actually helps you with the problems that you don't know you have. (laughs) See, let me tell you something that is very easy to do. It's very easy to be holy by yourself. See, at church, people see your blind spots. And in love, they call you out on it. See, there, has, there have been times where I have been told in love that I need a change. And let me tell you, I am so grateful for that. The Christians who have challenged me have often been met with my anger because, let's face it, none of us like to be told that we're sinners, especially when it's something that we have never seen before. And I am so grateful that those Christians have actually stuck it out. Amen. That's what we should all be praying. Let me give you an example of this. At some point, all of us are going to say something racist, sexist, or xenophobic. I don't know. We know all the ists and the isms. And unlike social media, the church comes to you in in love and says, maybe you shouldn't say that. They do it without damaging your name and with genuine love and motivation that encourages you to repent. I can, look, if I'm bearing myself here, I can actually say that if it wasn't for the church, I wouldn't be the person that I am in Christ. And I think every Christian should have to be able to say that. Now, before I move on this point, to this point, I quickly just want to go back to the family point. Because remember I mentioned earlier that some people will say that their families are their church. And because there's a lot of Christians in their family, therefore they don't mind not really committing to church. Let me tell you that while your family may grow in Christ, they cannot fulfill the role that God's church plays in the kingdom. There are families that don't want to send their kids to Sunday school. And there are often valid reasons for some of these things. Yet you've got to not forget that the same thing that God is doing with adults, He's doing with children. Because as the kids are being taught by their, their teachers, they develop as Christians and minister to one another. That picture of God's cosmic plan that we saw in Ephesians 1 verse 1 to 14 is the same thing that you actually find in the kids' ministry. How amazing is that? 
Now, as I said, there may be some valid reasons as to why your kids don't come to Sunday school, but you've really got to think long and hard before you say that they shouldn't. And here's often what I find. Here's another point that I often find in families that are filled with Christians from different walks of life. Some have aunties who attend that church, and others who have uncles who attend this church, or cousins who go to that church. And so what you're being taught in this kind of family is multiple things. And if you don't have the church which God has said is a major tool in your understanding of Scripture, then you will be pushed and pulled in every direction. As I said earlier, you'll end up worshiping a Jesus made up by the collective wisdom of your family rather than the God of the Bible. Yeah, I have family members who have told me that if I need a car and I don't have the money for it, all I need to do is just pray with enough faith and I can already start making space for it in the garage. <laughs> in case you don't know that that's not biblical, okay? I have books from other families. Black and I were talking about this the other day. I have the dodgiest pastors lining my bookshelf because they were given to me by family members who in love wanted me to change. They're not, they weren't doing it out of the wrong motives. They were being loving to me. They had the best intentions. And let me tell you that I am thankful that I belong to a Bible-believing church because as the Bible has, was taught, so other members of the church came to me and said, hey, you shouldn't read that book. <laughs> So one last thing on that point is I don't want to put families as a taboo thing. I think it's an amazing gift from God if you are part of a Christian family. In fact, I really feel for those who are Christians by themselves in their family. That's, that's a hectic thing. All I want to do is encourage you, if you are part of a Christian family, to not see your Christian family as your church. Your church is your Christian family that teaches you the Bible. Yeah, something about that. Anyway, I was trying to be clever and that didn't work out. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I'm getting at. And the final point for tonight is you are not fulfilling. So the third reason why you backslide is you're not fulfilling a part of God's purpose for your life. So I don't know if you know this or if you picked it up earlier, um, but I said earlier, you were ministers. Remember that point? And I didn't say it. Paul said it, actually. <laughs> So if you want, so I know you're thinking you're not part of the R Club, or you're not David Cabetti, or Black, or Martin, or Eddie. You may not have the spiritual gift of teaching, but you are a minister. Have a look at the text again. It says, he's given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So remember what we said earlier, that the Bible teaches teach the church, and that you are equipped well, you are a minister. You have a vital role in the church. It is to minister to one another. As you hear this word, and it changes you, so you share this word with other people. So the difference between this point and the point that I just made previously is that you don't come to church just to receive. You equally come to church to give. Perhaps that's why many of you are struggling during lockdown because you were struggling to find ways of actually serving in church. And this is part of who you are. Over the past few months, I've chatted to a lot of people who have struggled during lockdown, and a message that I often hear from these people is, nobody contacted me during lockdown. Many of you probably felt this, right? 
Nobody from the church called me. Now, I responded with this, and you've got to know that I, I responded in love. I've just shortened the conversation so that you can... I said this in love because it's going to sound mean. But I just said to them, well, did you contact anybody? And I said to them, and I did say this in love, I said, our church has roughly a 1,000 people in it. If every person in church waited for someone else to contact them, there would be no one contacting anyone. And I encouraged these people, and I said, listen, be the change and go contact other people. And I'm grateful that many of those people did. There's a great saying from um, the American president, John F. Kennedy. You've probably heard it. It says, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. What if the church said this? And you're the church, in case you didn't realize that. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. Just imagine what a force we would be in the world. Imagine if all 1,000 people in our church were ministering to one another and to the world. Think about it. You'd never have a Christian in need. If a Christian had financial issues, she could turn to our church and find a thousand people willing to help with money or advice or prayer or a place to stay, etc. If someone had marriage issues, they'd turn to a church and find a thousand people there to help. If someone struggled with depression, loneliness, anxiety, anger issues, they could turn to the church and find a thousand people there willing to help them. In fact, they might not have to turn to the church because people from the church would regularly be checking up on them to see if they're okay. Imagine how well we would know the Lord. We'd have a Bible knowledge second to none because everyone is teaching each other the scriptures. We'd know multiple areas to apply this. We'd barely ever question the love of God. Because think of this, if you don't, if you don't serve in church, and, and in fact you're not a part of church, then the only time you see God's love is when he does good things for you. The result is, when you don't see him doing those good things for you, you question how loving he is. But when you're serving in church, you might, you might struggle to see God's love in your life, but you'll see it in so-and-so who just got married. You'll see it in Tatu who just got a new job. You'll see it in, in Alicia, who just got healed from cancer. You'll see it in Tandeka and Chris, whose marriage survived the brink of divorce. Is this sinking in? Imagine the light we'd be to the world, and not just because we'd be a society who ministers to one another, but because we'd be a society of a thousand people continually thinking, how can we minister to the world? Imagine the impact we'd have on education, the economy, the health sector, the poor, the elderly, etc. Midrand, South Africa, and the world would feel the impact of an army that loves Jesus. That's the goal, right? As we are taught the word by the Bible teachers, so we minister this word to others. For what reason? Verse 13, so that we can attain maturity in Christ. And last thing to say on this point. It's not just that you need the church, but the church actually needs you. Look toward the end of the passage in verse 16. Paul describes the church as a body in which each part is needed in order for the body to work properly. 
So just like your body needs liver to work, so the church needs you. And just like liver needs the body to work, so you need the church. Remember, verse 1 tells us that the church is part of who we are. It's part of our DNA, so we need the church. But equally, you are also part of the church's DNA. I don't know if you know that. What does this mean? Well, Paul is saying here that the church needs you because God has gifted you with special abilities to help in the church. Maybe it's to help in the children's ministry, to run Bible studies, to serve tea, to be a teacher in one of the schools that we have, to help in the youth group. The church needs you. So yes, you can choose not to be a part of church, but when you do that, you impact the church because the church will not grow as well as it should without you. According to Paul, you are vital in God's plan for the church and for his cosmic plan, which means you have a purpose. And that's an amazing thing because so often I chat to people and they struggle to find purpose. At least you can find it here. Let me tell you something weird about the church. The people who serve the most are actually the happiest. (laughs) Why? Because there's something about serving that is fulfilling. Yes, serving can often be tough, okay? It's, It's tough. But if you look over a life of ministry, you will find that you are far more joyful. Someone in our youth leadership team once told the rest of us that they live for serving in youth. And it's not because they hate their jobs. But they said, they were sharing with us at, a, at one of our Bible studies, they were sharing this with us, and they said that they love their job, but they really find something about doing teens that they just love. And I find that really funny, because you think about it, this is a person in their, probably their mid-20s, they, they, come on, they give up their Friday night to spend time with people who are not their, their peers, and they love it. They, I mean, you know, most 25-year-olds that I know will want to go to maybe some place where they're hanging out with their friends, okay? Maybe to a braai, I don't know. They love that. But this person says they love attending Friday nights more than that. And it got me thinking, and I realized, you know what the reason is? It's because when they come on Friday nights or when they come on Sunday to serve at teens, they find a purpose, They know that what they are contributing to is God's glorious plan for the world. So to close off, I hope you see what church is, and I hope you see that you can't live without it. Now, if you have struggled with church, because many people have, what I want you to do is I know when you think of it, there's a lot of hard feelings and you're hurt. And these feelings can often create a barrier that you feel like you can't actually deal with. I want you to fight those emotions. And I want you to come and chat to people at church. I can guarantee you we will always take it in love. Because we actually know just how fault-filled we are ourselves. There are times where we also realize that we need to change. And we just need people to speak up. But you need to speak up because, Christ, because your church is half of who you are as a Christian. So if you live without church, you're half a person. And I don't know if you know this, but half a person can't live. They die. So you need to deal with it. 
if if you're a person who perhaps is online and you haven't been coming back to church, come back. <laughs> and lastly, if you are a Christian and you've been attending church a lot, I hope you just felt inspired by this to continue working hard and serving and giving your life to the church because you have a vital role and the church needs you.